unfortunately, we didn't capture you talking about your your mountain bike crashes, Michael. That might have been a good lead in. <laughs> we'll have time to embarrass you later, I guess. Yeah, me sucking at mountain biking, <laughs> but it's it is fun, listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew, and I'm Michael, and this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining Andrew and myself today is Pierre Facompre of uh, Look Cycles. Um, Pierre was uh, actually reached out to us uh, to give us some some feedback about some of our shows, and we've mentioned him on the uh, on the show before when we've talked about um, when we've done our you know thinking about episodes and we've uh, made corrections to things we've said in the past. And uh, after that initial exchange, Pierre and I have stayed in touch and we've talked about all manner of aerodynamic and other efficiency um, innovations in cycling. And, um, you know, after a lengthy exchange, I just said, look, Pierre, you just have to come on the show, share <laughs> share what you know about this stuff with, uh, with the rest of our listeners because it's totally worth it. Um, just to give you a quick idea, folks, uh, Pierre was uh, for a long time a product manager at uh, Look in France, as we mentioned. Uh, he's worked with the the French Federation there, and he's uh, done quite a bit of R and D. Uh, Pierre, thank you very much for your time. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Andrew, and thanks, Michael, for having having me with you. Uh, it's awesome to be on this on this side. I've been uh, uh, listening for so many episodes. Um, so I'm really honored to be uh, uh, maybe uh, not the student this time, but just uh, sharing <laughs> some of my experience in the in the industry. That's great. Um, so, uh, Pierre, can you give us a quick history of your um, of your time with Look and what uh, what sort of work you've been ex- involved with and uh, where your focus lies? Yes. Um, so I, I arrived uh, in Look uh, in 2005. I was still uh, uh, pretty young, but um, already at Quite a bit of experience on the on the wheel side, and Luke was uh, uh, developing at the time um, its its own um, accessories components uh, line in the uh, in the brand VO2. Uh, so I arrived working on the uh, VO2 wheels, which ended up being um, um, installed uh, as OEM products on our bikes for uh, a couple of years um, until we decided to stop because Mavic was uh, at the end of the. 2000 years Mavic was so strong that it was very hard to uh, mm. um yeah to uh, to beat Mavic and every every dealers wanted Mavic on the bikes at this time so <laughs> uh, we decided to stop but um it was good for me because at the time I was racing uh, uh, quite a bit of mountain bike and uh, Luke decided to go bike in the mountain bike uh, market which uh, Luke hadn't been for I think 5 or 6 years um, and so uh, we developed uh, a carbon hardtail, um, which in 2007 was still pretty uh, new to the market, um, and we had very good success with that. And then we uh, we kept uh, developing mountain bikes for for many years, and I was uh, doing both part of the R&D and the um, product manager job uh, for that. Um, but it's a market that's moving uh, pretty fast, so. Uh, uh, I think we were like kind of too big to react um, uh, as quickly as we wanted, but still too small to change the models every year. So um, in the meantime, I ended up doing uh, other things, other development on the on the roadside, uh, TT side, 
working on, on geometry um, and then uh, and then wheels uh, again um, in 2015 for the Rio Olympics. Um, and it evolves from uh, from that uh, being a product manager for uh, other products, which included track, um, which was pretty new for me. Uh, I'll be honest, this is uh, something I discovered uh, not from uh, practicing, but really uh, from uh, exchanging with our, our federations um, and our athletes, uh, which was really awesome. So in, in 2016 for Rio Olympics, we had new wheels uh, with with Karima, which um, which is a brand uh, we bought actually that year, mm-hmm. and then we had uh, we had a new uh, uh, R ninety six uh, track bike, um, which was actually pretty awesome. Uh, you could install the drivetrain on both the left side or the right side. Um, oh, neat! When we had different rear wheels, depend on the on what the, the nations wanted. Uh, I think another company uh, got a bigger. Uh, uh, marketing uh, out of the left <laughs> left sided um, drive train. I but, think I know which one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, actually, uh, it's funny because we 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 were testing. We we've been testing since uh, 2012, I guess. Uh, uh, we just it was always out because if you don't have the wheels, um, sorry, I'm I'm getting a bit long on that story. But if you don't no, no. If, if you don't produce the wheels, it's it's difficult to uh, to have uh, people on left uh, drive train. Uh, bikes uh, and then it's only when we bought Karima that we decided to go fully into it um, but then some depend on the nations depend on the contract that they had and if they already had uh, 100 wheels with uh, with um, the sprocket on the drive side <laughs> uh, on the right <laughs> side uh, it was difficult to have everybody shunned but anyway we got some communication out, out of that too and it was very uh, interesting testing and development for sure um, so I think I'm going to interrupt you for a quick second. Yeah. I think I know the reason for this, but but I'm uh, I want you to you know you as the expert in the room to explain why would you want to have the drive side on the left on track? Uh, it's a little bit of aerodynamic because the bike is always lean um, on one side uh, on the left side, and mm-hmm. it's also a little bit about um, uh, inertia, so that it's it's slightly adding more weight on the inside of the bike helps you a little bit um, keeping the inside line. Uh, instead of oh, cool. of being pushed um, to the outside of the uh, of the track uh, in the corner, and the speed are so crazy now. Um, you know, uh, at, for the two hundred meter, when people are uh, these strong cyclists are going seventy five k per hour, um, they are really pushed to the outside, which you don't really feel even when when you go. Um, and I've, I've done that. I went aero testing at forty five fifty k per hour. You don't feel it as badly as those guys at 75, 80k per hour when they are sprinting. Um, so, I mean, for, for the rest of us, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference, uh, but the faster you go, the, the better it is to, uh, to push weights on the, on the inside. So that's very cool because I've heard the, you know, I read the articles in before Rio about the, the left side drivetrain and I, and I saw the aerodynamic, uh, argument, but the, uh, the weight balance argument is super interesting. Yeah. And cool. I think it, it's, it's actually the, the biggest one uh, mm. aerodynamically speaking we have a, there is one advantage but it's very hard to confirm even though it makes sense and you can you kind of see it uh, uh, it's it's really uh, splitting air you know like you say and uh, yep. uh, it's like maybe 0.001 uh, yeah of, uh, of CDA uh, you know and, and sometimes you do two tests and you will get pretty much the same results it's it's very hard to get but uh, but also yeah it I mean, it all makes sense, but it's uh, in the marginal uh, side of the differences. But if you if you add the two differences that it makes, uh, I think it's it's worth it. Um, but um, it's very hard to um, 
to convince uh, when you do that. So, uh, so we have we've had experiences with nations riding both, um, and at this point, we still have we still we still see more people um, on with the drive train on the right side, even though it, on the traditional yeah. side. Well, I know. Um, first of all, it's a very interesting approach having the bike that it can be set up for both sides because I know the U.S. when they they had these frames built for them, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on new bike frames with a marginal performance gain, if anything, and it was just the amount of money that they put towards this, and it seemed like a bit of a waste. But if you have the bike already set up to do that, then you only have to swap a few components, and it's much much more cost effective. And yeah, for for us, sorry, uh, Andrew, to interrupt. But for us, it's just um, since we have the Z crank set, you know, which is the, the one piece carbon mm-hmm. crank set uh, on the track. Such a cool crank. Yeah, yeah it's just um, uh, reversing sides and uh, pedal inserts. Since we have the, the trial up system, so uh, you need to to reverse uh, just the threads um, on the on the insert for the pedals. But that's uh, a piece that you can uh, completely uh, remove by hand, uh, since you can adjust the three lengths also of the of the crank arms. Um, and then it's it's only one specific rear wheel and one uh, specific sprocket, so it's quite easy to do but it, it means for for the nations to have stock of of both wheels uh, type and both sprockets well it's better than having stock of the wheels and sprockets plus the frames and plus all the yeah. other components because that that really adds up and track cycling well from an outsider's perspective it always seems like olympic teams have a lot of money but the reality is many of them are very budget limited um so any improvements in cost are a big savings for them yeah, for sure. So anyway, I was a bit long on that uh, on that topic, but just to uh... no, I I asked about it, and this is kind of like <laughs> listeners. This is this is how this interview came to be because uh, you know Pierre would say I you know he would hear something on the podcast and he would send me an email, and then we would get into a conversation, and then that conversation would lead to three other conversations, and I'm like, look, we gotta stop stop this emailing stuff, which is I mean it was great, but uh, yeah, yeah, come sorry, on the show and talk about this stuff. Yeah, and sorry, <laughs> many times I was uh, I was pretty kind, and a couple of times I was not so kind on on some things. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that no, was no. right. You know, sorry, Mike. No, no, listen. So, so honestly, that, that kind of feedback is to us. And again, we're listeners. My apologies. We're jumping all over the place, but, um, the, the feedback that is, that is, you know, constructive criticism for me is the most useful kind. You know, it's, it's, it feels nice. You know, you get that warm, fuzzy feeling when someone says, I love your podcast, keep up the good work. And we say, yeah, that's great. But if somebody says you got this wrong and you should correct it, that to me means that's, that's, you know, that's something that I can do something about. And I, uh, you know, as far we've talked about this in the broader scheme of, you know, triathlon and cycling is like, is this useful? And, you know, positive feedback is very nice and it's, you know, it's, it's useful for my ego, <laughs> but, but constructive criticism is, is useful to making, you know, in making sure that we get the, you know, factual information out there. And we've done it a few times with people giving and us feedback. From a personal selfish note, um, it's also something to increase our own knowledge base. So I love just being more aware of the bigger picture. And if I can correct some wrong information in my head, then that's fantastic. That's something I love. Totally. Yeah, that's actually honestly one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is how much we learn from talking to smart people. It's not, you know, we're, you know, it's it's fun. It's fun for, Andrew, well, I'm going to speak for myself. It's fun for me to talk about this stuff, but it's it's more satisfying to learn. Um, so yeah, so that that's why it's it helps. Yeah, if you let me just uh, just you to to finish because I talk about two hundred sixteen and um, just to talk about um, two hundred twenty, which was supposed to be a Tokyo Olympics. Yes, and now two hundred twenty one. Um, my last two um, uh, big projects for the track was uh, uh, the Iago um, extensions, which we may mm-hmm. talk about uh, later on, and also the T twenty 
uh, bikes for the for the Tokyo Olympic, um, which was an really awesome project because we uh, we really had a good uh, basis with the R96, which became the R96 Evo um, in between the Olympics with the new geometry. Um, and then um, we started uh, the T20. And what, what was really awesome is was uh, going to the wind tunnel, doing some CFD with both bikes and going to the wind tunnel, wind tunnel with both bikes um, and then going um, to the track and confirming with uh, uh, three different methods uh, the exact same difference we found in the wind tunnel on the track with a ride on. And that was uh, a really eye-opening experience. Uh, loved it. Uh, really useful for you know confirming our R&D thoughts and also helpful for the marketing but uh, other than that uh, what an awesome experience for you know learning how to uh, confirm results from one type of testing to the next and uh, setting up really really strict protocols so that you could find the same differences not trying to find the same differences but um, being very uh, very careful about the protocol so that you have a chance to find the same differences and uh, and I'm it's definitely not marketing that when I'm saying that we, we ended up finding the same difference and that was very awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> so last big, last big, yeah, last big uh, R&D project that I, we finished. So one we can talk about because the, the bikes is, is already being sold. So that's something we can discuss. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is like this has the makings of you know Pierre. Where we've we've exchanged emails, and we, well, we've kind of settled on what we want to talk about today. But we, you know, you keep you keep mentioning stuff that I want to learn more about. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we keep, might bug you for keep this one episode. for next for next time because I think you set up three topics, uh, and uh, yeah. so that's probably enough for today. But uh, <laughs> we can do uh, another one on track bikes or other stuff next time if you want. <laughs> Totally. So listeners, as you can imagine, yeah, we have, uh, we've, we've got a lot to talk to Pierre about because he's kind of, uh, you know, a, a man after our own hearts in that, in that he's a big giant bike nerd. But for today, um, what we, what we settled on, uh, just because that's kind of what piqued my interest in the email exchange was, uh, um, talking about tri-spoke wheels was going to, is going to be our first topic. And that's, uh, something that, um, you know, was at least in the North American market and, and totally for my, kind of enthusiast lens um they were you know you saw a ton of those a ton of the wheels mostly from head um head and specialized kind of the same makes um in i want to say like the early mid 2000s and then into even like the early 2010s and then they sort of disappeared in favor of the you know the the deeper traditional spoked wheels and obviously disc wheels um so uh pure you know now that look is uh is a karima um owner as well so you've got quite a bit of wheel experience and plus with your own work um that you mentioned let's talk about the pros and cons of uh of tri spokes versus standard wheels because they're still very much on the market yeah um and actually like like you said we uh we Corima and luke are the same uh, company now um but mm -hmm. um, i think we wanted also to discuss the topic more in, in general um as it's it's not something that um uh, really often uh, discussed and i think there is a uh, really a point to make these days uh, with more bikes going also to disc brakes uh, where yes. I think I really think um, uh, tri-spokes are, are even a better place now uh, I mean like carbon spoke wheel in, in general um, have a better place now than they had uh, in the past so um, as you know we make uh, uh, standard spokes wheels we make um, with uh, with like Sapium 6 Ray, um, 47, 32, 47, and 58 millimeters. Uh, okay. So we definitely make standard uh, wheels with uh, 
Um, so let's talk about front wheels because I don't think there is big points uh, about talking uh, rear street spoke. Uh, usually, a, use use a disc. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> let, yeah, use a disc unless you can't, which is Kona. So <laughs> but, that's, what, uh, that's pretty much what we've said on the show too. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you 100. percent Let's just put that one to bed. If you can't yeah, allowed exactly. to use a so, disc. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the front, um, which is really, uh, I think, where um, three spokes and uh, deep section wheels uh, are, both have their place. But uh, um, if you look at the evolution of the last um, few years, uh, so the market is moving to disc brakes, and mm-hmm. you had you had um, some of the same rims uh, used, which were usually used with uh, sixteen spokes in the front uh, for I mean for a deep carbon rim with standard spokes. Uh, I mean sixteen or eighteen spokes where it was kind of standard for the for the front. Um, so you have to consider the drag that you create from uh, uh, from moving forward, and then you have to consider the drag that you will create to rotate, uh, which I'm sure you know um, a lot more probably than me about that. But um, So transitional drag and uh, rotational drag. And usually when you go in a wind tunnel, you only measure um, translational drag. Sorry <laughs> for my accent. I hope you get it. Totally. Um, translational drag. No, that's clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what you uh, you measure in the, in the wind tunnel, and you get some uh, you add some yo, uh, and you look at, at the results, which is uh, perfectly uh, normal. But that's ap- approximately seventy five percent of the drag of the wheel. If you, huh. um, I think DT Swiss had, uh, with Swissside, uh, they have very good uh, information about about that. They say about seventy five. Uh, to twenty five percent ratio. Um, so you measure in the wind tunnel seventy five percent of what you want to measure globally, hmm. um, and then uh, you have twenty five percent is uh, the, the energy it takes for the wheel to rotate, and you can only uh, measure it. I think it used to be done at the San Diego wind tunnel. I'm not sure about now. Um, and there is one tunnel in, in Europe, one wind tunnel in Europe, um, but you want to measure the power it takes to spin the wheel, and that's actually a additional to the power it takes to translate the wheel. Um, and what happens is when all the bikes move from a, a rim brake to disc brake, um, you have the torque to, of, the, of the front brake now to take into account uh, in the wheel front wheel system. Sure. Uh, and now you are making wheels with best case scenario is 20 spokes if you do. I mean, the, the, the most standard is 24 spokes. And you will you will only find a couple of uh, uh, different scenarios in, uh, in with Karima when they do a twenty front, twenty spokes front wheel. So it's only adding two spokes compared to the rim brake um, because they do um, um, so for two for two spokes on sorry it's two thirds so it's twelve spoke twelve spokes on the disc side and eight spokes on the non disc side and then you only have uh, one front wheel with Roval which is a uh, Actually, a twelve spokes on one side and six on the on the other side, um, which is a little bit scary if you ask me. But I don't want to <laughs> say bad things about now. If you break one spoke on the spoke on the side where that's there true. is uh, six spokes, um, you crash, and uh, that's yeah, the other. The wheel is collapsing, isn't it? And I'm sure they also yeah. have really, you know, they have very strict weight limits because I'm not like you know, I I'm not a light triathlete. Um, as you know, as an age grouper, uh, uh, you know, generally, generally a bigger dude. And so I would be v- terrified to ride like a, you know, a 20, um, a 20 spoke, uh, disc brake wheel. Cause I just, I weigh a lot, especially with so much weight on the front end and triathlon. 
so anyway, I don't want to say, it's just to say there are some exceptions, but usually now you see 24 spokes and or more right. on, a, on a front wheel, which creates a lot of more, uh, a lot more of uh, rotational drag. And this is mm. where I think now um, uh, carbon spokes wheels uh, have a big advantage now for uh, these brake bikes. It's now you can see there is more tire because there are uh, there is more tire clearance also, um, and so the, there is more room in between the fork um, and the tri spoke. So the usually the drawback of a tri spoke wheels was when you were with the rim brake was uh, a little bit um, the, the weight. Um, the weight was a little bit of a, a concern compared to a standard wheel. Um, and then sometimes if you had the, the fork that was very close uh, to the to the wheel. Uh, because uh, the wheel now, the, the disc, uh, the, sorry, the spokes are wider and they are bigger, and so they create more of their own uh, rotational drag. So you could have some interference between the fork legs uh, and the spokes. But now that everything is getting wider, so you there is really a big advantage for me to using tri spoke with these brakes. Is the fork is wider, so this is not a concern anymore. Um, and then you don't add any spokes. Actually, you don't have pretty much no frontal area except for the for the rotor which is definitely not the case of the uh of the standard wheel um spokes wheel on which the the hub gets bigger you add more spokes mm -hmm. and you keep you kind of keep this you have more nipples when they are exposed exposed which is much most often the case not Karima uh, and not dt swiss but many other brands will uh, will show the nipple and tell you it's easier to uh, to adjust in case you that's what we hear to. yep yep um and uh, and so in the end, uh, I think now the the difference is is getting bigger uh, in between both wheels. And um, personally, when I tested uh, a few times on road testing, so where you don't see the the separation between the rotational drag and the translational drag, but many times when I test outdoor, um, I'm faster on the tri spoke wheels. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, uh... One of the things that uh, that you mentioned is uh, is that you know at zero yaw with a tri spoke you essentially don't see the spokes because they're in the shadow in the you know the the wake of the of the rim itself which you know makes sense right because obviously the traditional traditional steel or you know exotic metal spokes are are at uh, some kind of angle to the uh, to the rim because they have to attach to the outside of the or to the you know, to the edge of the hub, so that you, you, they, the wind does see them, as it were, at zero yaw conditions. But what about non-zero yaw conditions? So uh, my question is twofold: like, have you studied the aerodynamic effects at non-zero yaw? Because almost never are you at perfectly zero yaw, right? We know that. Um, and then what about what about the kind of the steering torque input, which we've talked about a bunch of times on the show with with deeper front wheels? You know, the deeper the front wheel is the well, any area in front of your in front of your steer axis that is any surface area in front of your steer axis um, can add extra steering input with uh, non-zero yaw, basically a sidewind. So, how do the the uh, the wider, thicker tri spoke spokes affect that kind of scenario? Uh, yeah, for sure, you're right. Um, and I think one of the uh, misconception uh, in the past was, uh, you know, you would always associate uh, three spoke to very um, deep spoke uh, because you were looking for some stiffness because you have the stiffness at the spoke and you have the stiffness in between the spoke which is a, always a concern of this kind of wheel when you when you develop mm -hmm. a wheel like that this is something you really need to take into account um, and very often the the rim was pretty deep and the spoke 
the spokes also were pretty deep. And so it, it could create some uh, uh, more touchy uh, handling. Uh, but, uh, but nowadays, what you see more and more is you will see um, actually spokes uh, when it's only three and with a tapper from the, from the up to the rim. So meaning the, um, actually the external, um, I mean, the, the, the part of the spoke that's mo- the most, uh, the closer to the rim is usually much smaller than it is at the up. Mm. So the steering torque is not that big. And, and then when you say, when you talk about steering torque, it's also a lot about, uh, as you know, from talking with flow and, and, and either zip or whatever, uh, uh, it's the shape of the rim is also pretty important for uh, what side force you are going to uh, to encounter. Um, totally. And so these days, riding uh, for me as uh, a fifty-eight millimeter Corima Swiss spoke, the, the new generation one, the, the wide one. The wide ones. Yep. Yeah, which is available in Clincher. Um, um, it's it's pretty much the same as riding any fifty-eight millimeter deep wheel from another company with standards with 16 or 18 or 20 uh, six rays uh, or whatever um, on the you will also find many many uh, now these days new development in tracebook um, you will see, maybe you saw joe skipper uh, breaking uh, new zealand uh, new zealand uh, topo ironman record at the beginning of the year with a very nice tracebook also developed for available in both frame break and just break uh, uh, really developed mostly, I guess, for this break. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very deep. Uh, same for another uh, Australian company called Caden. Very, very nice wheel, but very deep. So uh, you really have to look at what you can handle. Um, and this is why I think uh, Corima make a wise choice in this case. It's because the shape of the rim is very close to our 58 millimeter uh, rim that we make for for spokes, uh, standard spokes, uh, except except it's uh, uh, it's designed inside a three, a three spoke, and so when you try both wheels, actually they are not very different in in handling, and I, I'm sure there are other options that are very fast and and like I say for just keeper are very well developed for for this brake, um, but they are pretty deep, so you it's like are you able to to handle a 80 millimeter of standard front wheel or not? Mm. Um, and it it really depends on what you are comfortable with, uh, what's your weight also, because I think your weight has a pretty big influence on what you can handle in the front. Uh, yeah, we've talked about that just recently, actually. Yeah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, um, I really think anyway, it's something people moving to. If they now people are changing tri bikes or uh, TT bikes to disc brake, and if if you come from a rim brake bike and you don't have your wheels yet, um, it's worth looking into, I think. Uh, I hope there is more testing coming in the future from, uh, from us and, uh, and maybe others to, uh, uh, to confirm. But I really think there is, a, there is something new gains to make, uh, or at least um, some of the loss you make going to this brake, maybe you can compensate uh, with uh, the tri-spoke wheels. Right. And you did mention there was a there was a bit of a weight penalty. What are we talking about? How much for a disc brake wheel? Uh, we are talking about probably two hundred grams. Which you know, if you are getting more aero, it's not a big deal. It's it really depends if you are compa- comparing uh, apple to apple in terms of rim depth. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you would yeah. you would assume that same same rim depth, but sp- uh, traditional spokes like a you know like your Sapem CX versus um, versus uh, say a tri spoke carbon. Yeah, I would say at this point it's. it's Depend on the brands uh, and what you are starting uh, from in terms of the, the 
uh, standard rim, uh, standard wheel, um, you're probably talking 150 to 250 grams. Okay. Which, okay. which really not, isn't a big deal. If Especially you, if you, craft, yeah, if you, yeah, if you can save, you know, 0 0.003 of CDA or something like that, you know, unless it's very hilly, uh, you're better off saving the CDA and adding the 200 grams. And the comparison I always make to that is that's 150 milliliters of water thereabouts. <laughs> so it's it's really not that much. Uh, people People carry multiple extra bottles. So clearly the weight isn't that much of a concern. Yeah, it's funny. It's a, you use the same example I uh, always use, Andrew. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, keep telling, I keep telling people, you know, when they say, you know, it's 200 grams, not not about the wheel especially, but I mean, in general, you know, I can I can save 200 grams. And I'm like, but do you feel when your bottle is half empty after, you know, 40 minutes? Or, or do you find your bike feels the same? And in general, like, yeah, it feels the same. You know, so I'm like, yeah, so why do you care? You know, if, of course, don't add 200 grams for zero other gains you know if you don't gain anything don't add the 200 grams but if you can game in some other areas um just look into what your the course uh, you are going to ride is and uh, and maybe you're better off saving something else even if it adds 200 grams very cool and what about uh, what about the non-zero yaw testing conditions i know it's hard to get that data sometimes but um in terms of aerodynamics in non-zero yaw conditions how do they how do tri spokes compare to similar depth um traditional spoke wheels yeah, it's it's really. Uh, it, I think it really depends on the on the shape of the of the rim. Uh, mostly, I'm not saying there is no difference, but uh, in the end, there is no. It, it kind of reacts like a standard wheel, I guess. You would see in the past some um, some very flat uh, wind tunnel curve with um, people comparing the head H3 to other wheels, but that was because at the time the the rim was super narrow, like 19 millimeter, I guess. And you will see other brands like. Uh, Bomb Trigger or Zip bringing the H3 to the wind tunnel, um, but with a 23 millimeter tire because they were using the same tire on their wheel and on the head wheel. And so the the yo, I mean, it wouldn't react very well at yo. It would uh, um, it would stall very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the curve would get pretty flat, whereas the other one would uh, would drop at uh, you know f- an, up to fifteen degrees or something like that. And um, whereas uh, the H three would uh, would drop up to five or seven point five degrees and then stall very quickly. Uh, so it was usually always pretty good at at low yields, and then it would it would get up. But I think the last um, all the last data has, uh, I've seen either from us and uh, even other companies um, um, look at the let even the latest. Uh, Ed uh, H3 plus or uh, the other wheel I was talking about is Wavel there or things like that. It, they all react pretty much like a standard wheel. Now that the the, the spokes got uh, much smaller at the close to the rim, uh, the carbon spokes uh, and the the technology is now uh, using wider rims, the same you would use on on standard spoke wheels. Uh, in the end, it so kind of reacts the same at yours. Except you always save the rotational drag and so on, but I mean in terms of uh, translational drag, uh, it's not much difference. But the, the best way is to you know try it in different conditions, uh, even though it's always harder uh, with tools like an you know, Nocio or thing like that to test with Yo. Um, uh, it's good to test on a, you know on the road if you have a chance and uh, and try it. Uh, I know for me I I did that many times because. I'm lucky that I had a different <laughs> wheels available. You're in, a, you're in a unique position, Pierre. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could try the uh, the Corima 58 with uh, with six rays, and I could try at the same time the the three spoke, and it was faster. And I 
I tested different brands also, but I sh I cannot talk about them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually you, you you would think oh, in the wind tunnel maybe oh it's, this is faster, and you will find many results where the tri spokes are the same but not really faster, and then you try them on the track or outside, and they get just a tiny bit faster that it's worth looking at, and with this brake, it's even more worth looking at, I guess. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense. So one thing I'm I'm actually very curious about is obviously the the wheels are directional and you can see the offset of the the spokes and their design. Um, so typically there'll be, from my assumption, a an airfoil shape or something similar to that. And what you're doing is taking advantage, I would imagine, of the um, the the late stall that happens with an airfoil design, like the the better aerodynamic efficiency. So do you end up in a crosswind at a point where there's enough forward force generated by the airfoil shape that it would be able to drive its own rotation and similar negative to a drag. Disc wheel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> similar to with a disc wheel where you get kind of the sailboat effect or negative drag where you're propelling yourself forward. Does that ever happen in your testing? Um, honestly, I haven't seen it, um, but it really depends where you test and how the struts are made and so on. So it's it gets pretty good at angles. Uh, I haven't seen negative drag um, uh, where we test. Uh, to be uh, to be honest, but it really it really depends how you test, where you test, uh, if you remove the struts, uh, you know the tar for the struts or not. Um, so I mean, you can look at the number in many many ways. Um, but just to answer your question, also the reason why it's uh, asymmetrical um, and um, it's something Karima has been uh, has been doing for maybe twenty years or something like that. Uh, it's also because if we, are, we we usually have the uh, the spokes uh, that's longer in the front, so that then the the air slides on a bigger part of the of the hub uh, cylinder. If you um, after uh, it's hard for me to explain in English. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, it's the way the the hair is going to move uh, around the the hub also area. Uh, this is why usually we do it uh, asymmetrical. Um, but it's it was more true when the spokes were were very deep than now, but it still um, it still happened. So usually uh, we have the length of the spokes is different in the front compared to the rear of the spokes. It's just so the the circulation of the air around the the hub is a bit different. But yeah, sorry, folks, I I encourage you to just uh, check out the and this is a you know an unpaid plug, but to go on go on the Karima website and take a look at some of the uh, some of the images that they have of these wheels. Um, if you're trying to get a sense of what uh, of what Pierre's talking about, and you can get yeah, a sorry, that's a terrible explanation, but uh, it's 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 hard to explain to... without looking at it. So yeah. when you're talking about it, and I'm looking at these wheels on you know I've got I've got your website open just so to give me my give me that context. I'm like, oh, now I understand what he's saying. So listeners, just you know, pop open to the to the website. This is your free advertising <laughs> Pierre. Thank take you. a look at the wheels and because um, then it gives you an idea of what of what he's talking about the the asymmetry in the spoke as it changes from hub to um, hub to rim but yeah and anyway just on that on that topic um, if it helps also look at the, uh, what's happening in the also in the pro tour um, you will see many uh, many three spoke wheels sometime with a uh, with name name of them sometime without name uh, of mm -hmm. them but th that tells you that uh, there are many uh, many riders racing very fast, uh, wanting to use Swiss spoke and not 
in time what, trial. What they are supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And just to tie this into the the latest episode that we released, may not be the latest by the time this comes out, but uh, the our last chat with uh, Kurt uh, Bergen-Taylor, uh, we were talking about Dan Bingham's um, performance and his, um, you know, secret CDA. Uh, he was on a on a tri-spoke front. Yeah, whereas a few weeks before he was on the on the very deep seventy five or something, and then he moved to a three-spoke. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he's even now offering, um, I saw from Dan Bingham, um, a special cover for the valve. I don't know if you saw that uh, aerodynamic. Um, valve covers oh cool. kind of like what silka was Sil- offering, yeah, yeah, but silka was doing it right yeah i was gonna say yeah, was but, doing it. yeah the, yeah actually the, the new one from uh um from uh what uh shop for what's uh what shop sorry uh yeah. it's pretty uh it's pretty neat too so he's doing a lot of uh, optimization and it's always good to uh like you said in your episode to have a look at, at the picture of dan writing and uh, and seeing what he optimizes and there is a lot to uh to learn from him even though it's, it's different kind of, it's not long distance triathlon. Uh, it's usually short TT, but there is always a lot to learn anyway, if you are uh, geek about all of this. <laughs> yeah. And some of those things are, you know, like you might not be able to emulate his position because it might not work to run off the bike off of that. But if you, you know, if you can, if you can put some, some valve arrow valve covers on, that doesn't, that's free speed. Even if it's just marginal, it's not going to affect anything else on your bike. Or your yeah, usually I do that differently. I just uh, use a very short, uh, okay. It's a cheap, I'm I'm giving tip to my uh, to my competitors, but uh, <laughs> I'm usually uh, using a short a, a valve stem that's shorter than the uh, than the rim, uh, and then you have a, a topic in Germany that makes some uh, um, valve extender um, with which you can actually close the valve after pumping. You can open and close the valve. It it kind of creates some. Uh, it's such a pain some... in the ass, though. I've done. I used to do that before too, but it's it's. It, I I stopped because it was just so much work, and like sometimes you wouldn't get it. Maybe I just wasn't good at it. I mean, maybe that's. Yeah, it's, I I mean it's it's pretty easy to do, and then you can tape oh, the okay? you can you can tape the hole. So on the on the three spoke, it makes for a very very clean uh, rim circumference, internal rim <laughs> circumference. So I just love doing that. You know, using a, a thirty thirty two or forty even forty eight. Uh, valve stem will work and, and then so you know. hang on let's 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 go down this rabbit hole so you uh you install the topeak extender which i know them I've, I've used them in the past you you inflate your you inflate your tube to whatever pressure you want and then you use the extender to close the the uh yeah you the, can turn it, it cre- and then you take it off yeah exactly it the, the topic extender it does uh adhere uh a little bit to the um to the end of your valve and so you yeah. can you can turn it and you can close your valve i mean people many many people will ride with the valve open um for me i i don't like it i'm always worried it will leaks maybe uh, you know 0.5 psi yeah. over over an hour or something like that so i prefer if my valve my valve my sorry my valve is closed um yeah. and it usually works a little bit better on uh, if it helps on tubes which doesn't have the removable core so uh, it actually works a little bit better on the michelin latex uh, than than on the vittoria latex yeah i know the ones <laughs> <laughs> so oh man that's that's such a hack it's funny because i used to do that uh, i didn't do it on purpose i did it because i didn't have i didn't have access to the removable core tubes and like the the different extenders like the more common extenders that people are used to so i was using the topic ones and i would curse them every time because it was so hard to or sometimes like i would close the valve with the extender when i was screwing it on and then i'd have to remove it and it was just such a fiddly thing to do but, yeah, but if, um, if you turn uh, if you turn gently the the top <laughs> uh, the top part of the of the topic extender i'm pretty yeah. sure you will make it you can make it 
Oh, I'm gonna have to try this again. This is such a fun hack. If, right. But I'm always my only my other problem is I'm always running late for stuff. So yeah, um, but <laughs> please don't please don't tell Dan Bigam he's already way too fast for people okay. like us. <laughs> but also he's not competing in triathlon. I don't. Think, yeah, so you're okay. You're okay. Good for us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that tip. That's an awesome tip, listeners. Yeah, keep that in mind. Um, okay, very cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, about tri suits. That was the other thing we wanted to chat about, and then we'll save our, you know, our our aero testing conversation for another day. Because I I'm finally getting my bottom bracket replaced. Because getting parts, so guys, I don't know about if you know about this, but like in North America, getting bike components right now is a huge pain because it's because of you know COVID and Shimano short on everything, and uh, and I finally tracked down a uh, a bottom bracket replacement, which. Listeners, you don't really care about any of this stuff, but uh, the reason that I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get Pierre on in the first place was to talk about um, a company called Aerotune, which we've mentioned a couple of times. But I want to try it myself first, and my TT bike is is a uh, you know uh, one of my bottom bracket bearings is completely shot. So I'm getting that replaced on Wednesday, and then I'm going to go test uh, this weekend, and then when uh, hopefully Pierre will decide, decides he wants to come back to the show, then we can talk about aero testing. Um, <laughs> Did you ruin the bottom bracket by just putting down way too much power? Was that yes? That's right. That was that was the problem. Actually, it's a used. It's a used. Um, uh, it was a used frame, and I just when I um, again another totally uh, free plug for Four Eyes. Um, when I sent my cranks away to get uh, the factory install power meter on, um, I then you know I took the cranks off and I was just playing with the bearings. Like wow, this one the you know the non-drive bearing is complete garbage. It's it sounds like it's got sand in it. So um, yeah. And now I'm gonna have to put that back on. From an insider's perspective, um, it is super difficult in the bike industry right now because demand, which is fantastic, has gone through the roof. Um, so Pierre, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. You just cannot find bikes right now as a as a consumer. So it's it's been a huge challenge to supply these components. And then a company like Shimano, which is notorious for being very long on lead times, um, it's just become that much worse because everyone wants their parts now. So we've been struggling with being able to supply the power meters that people have asked for. Um, so it's it's been tough. Like it's it's nice to have the demand, but it's a real challenge knowing that um, everyone is out there wanting to put down money, but just not being able to supply because we can't get parts. We can't we can't build fast enough. And I think everyone in the bike industry is going through something similar right now. Yeah, and I can tell you a quick anecdote. My uh, my desk is uh, is pretty close to the to the production. Um, since we make all uh, many products in France, including uh, all our pedals, and uh, production is going pretty strong right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I, would, uh, I would agree with you that uh, the, the demand uh, post COVID demand is uh, is pretty high. Oh, it's so that's so it's so happy. It's so good to see you know some silver lining to this mess because um yeah the fact that the cycling industry is going so strong and I've talked to a, a couple of companies off the air uh, and everyone's like you know chomping at the bit and and growing and looking to expand which is you know I mean it makes me so happy. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about suits real quick. This will be the kind of our um, the last thing that we covered today. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of things we won't cover <laughs> as a teaser, but let's talk about something we, we we do want to talk about. So suits are near and dear to Andrew and I. Um, we've sort of hinted at uh, at how important we think they are, and we've uh, and and Kurt on the last episode that we released talked about the value of uh, of well fitting and uh, correct fabric suits. But um, Pierre, you said you had some insight on this stuff, so let's uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, um, if I can 
I had a little bit more, but it's this the topic a topic I I heard you uh, talked about many times, and you've said so many good things uh, already from like sun protection and feeding and um, all this stuff. Having the pocket where you need it, you need them for you know just make sure you don't uh, get run out of energy during a triathlon, which is even more important than aerodynamics. Hundred percent. Yeah, walking the marathon is a is is <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast you were on the bike if you're walking the marathon because you bonked. But I think the, the two or three things I may I may add to uh, to this topic you have uh, explained so well in the past is uh, um, many times um, I think there are a couple of tips um, the pad for me uh, uh, it's pretty uh, terrible to see how many times um, a suit will be fast on me and the pad uh, the chamois is just like terrible and I can't put mm. any power after thirty minutes um, so that's really something I'm really looking at now um, and what I did uh, last year trying to find the fastest suit for me uh, testing with a uh, with Aerotune actually um, was I ordered like uh, actually I, a lot of cash when went, went out of my bank account for a while because I was ordering <laughs> ordering so many suits that I was um, trying and if I could if I felt the fit was good and the pad I was confident that the pad would be okay I would keep them um, and if not i would send them back uh, as a return but i was always checking uh, fit and pad beforehand um, which meant uh, in the end i probably tested five or six that i kept uh, but i tried mm. probably uh, probably double that number um, and many times uh, many fast suit got into my hand i was like i want to try them and then i'm like but the pad i'm not gonna do two or even alpha one man uh, i'm not gonna pedal well push the same power for two hours or 10, 10 two hours and 10 minutes with that pad um so i think that's something people should should look at um and so what's your advice in that in that category i mean other yeah, than what you did is like buying 12 suits and trying them all out yeah and for me there's a, there is one brand for the which is terrible the, the pad worked very 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 well for me i mean that's the one i would train on every time i would Try in a tri, uh, train in a tri suit, uh, which is what I try to do uh, before races um, to get adjusted to the to the seat height and so on. Um, and the fastest suit for me, uh, sorry, the best part for me is not the fastest suit. So, <laughs> um, but there is one part I love. Uh, for me, I I think a bit thicker padding um, and not too narrow in the center. Many times you will see um, uh, many pads do kind of an eight H shape. Yep, you see yep. what I mean. I and do. It's, it's way too narrow, um, pretty much where you sit. Uh, you know, I, I will. I know you do some fit, bike fitting too. Usually, I will measure my seat height and my seat uh, setback at about uh, eighty millimeter width uh, for the saddle, mm-hmm. um, um, because this way it's kind of more uh, easier to reproduce from one saddle uh, to the next. Because if you take the nose of the saddle and the nose is longer or shorter, you cannot really reproduce the position. And so it's it's pretty much every time the, the, I see a pad that does an eight, it's positioned in a way that this is exactly where I sit. And my um, my kind of the junction between my butt and my uh, and my legs uh, will rub on the on the stitches exactly mm. where exactly where the pad is very narrow. Yeah, and I, and either I will get uh, uh, bleedy out there or um anyway i'm gonna get slow because it's gonna hurt at some point Super uh, yeah yeah and i'm gonna lose like just 20 watts just because i i'm thinking about that and not pedaling and you know and you you start running and you're already bleeding and then you have to run 
uh, wet uh, with with that <laughs> problem already and so on. So anyway, I would uh, usually I, I look for kind of a straighter shape uh, uh, chamois. Um, and actually, my the fastest suit on me is the uh, okay. I can do some uh, marketing not for looks this time. Uh, <laughs> for me, is uh, the Andura. Um, yeah. And no, the Andura, it's it's pretty fast and uh, and the, it's not my uh, my favorite chamois but it's good enough you know that i can own my power um but uh what's interesting is that i tried once to uh, ask a, a tailor to remove a, a, my favorite pad from <laughs> from one shot i was going to ask you if you've ever tried to yeah. transplant and uh, and they said it's it's very very difficult to do and uh, and uh-huh. they advised me not to do it but I, I would do it if i if i could definitely <laughs> Because I know the one pad is working so well and what suit is, is working so well um, that it's worth looking at. So anyway, that was just one tip, not very aerotic, but you know, at some point it, it gets into the aero game when you cannot hold your position anymore because it, uh, yeah, you can't exactly. Yeah, yeah. Huh. comfortable we've, we've is fast. We've talked about this. Yeah, sorry, Andrew. Uh, yeah, we've had this discussion many, many times where if you can't maintain your position, you're losing way more time than just a small marginal gain, um, and it it really adds up. Yeah, but for me, there is a, a point zero. 001, uh, point zero, sorry, point zero 0.01. I mean, I go from um, like 0.21 CDA to 0.20 CDA from an average wow. suit from the base suit. So it's it's worth, you know, uh, adding a bit of, uh, you know, a, a chamois cream and so on just to <laughs> to gain this point uh, zero 0.01. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's about mm-hmm. two minutes for ninety uh, k, so it's it's worth uh, doing the effort of uh, adding cream or whatever helps to reduce friction. So, out of curiosity, which which brand of chamois do you prefer? What what works best for you? Uh, it's definitely the Castelli. Uh, the Castelli for me is by far the best pad, but the the Arlot suit is not very fast on me. Unfortunately, they always have the, or maybe it's uh, I'm. I'm not saying the problem is on Castelli, maybe the problem is on me, but um, I will usually go um, with the legs pretty tight and the, the top is not tight enough. So I get some wrinkles on the on the mm. arms and things like that. Um, so for mm. me, it doesn't make for a very... I mean, I get a, a bit too much compression on the quad with the Castelli and not enough, definitely not enough compression on the arm, <laughs> if you see what I mean. Yeah, and that goes to show you, like, we're all different, you know, it's, that's the problem with, uh, you know, an off-the-rack suit, because we're all built differently. Some of us have bigger upper bodies or bigger legs, and, and it's, you know, they're, the, the problem of the manufacturer is they're trying to sell suits, so they're trying to make, if they do a good job, they're trying to make a suit that fits the most number of people, um, but they're always going to be outliers, right? It's impossible to make a, an off-the-rack suit that fits everyone. Defense of, uh, of Castelli, I haven't tried the, the, the last one, the Pro one, uh, that was used by Camroff and... Um... Uh, other guys in in Kona last year. Um, it came out this year, but with so few races uh, on the schedule, and having mm-hmm. one uh, try suit that I knew was working pretty well on me, uh, I didn't try it. So probably they have, they have a better better one now than the the all out. So I don't want to uh, move people away, uh, drive people away from Castelli. Uh, I, I think they make the <laughs> the best chamois uh, for triathlon out there for sure. I tried any pretty much any brand, um, and uh, and it's just not fast enough on me and yeah and the other point i wanted to talk about maybe something you you probably had, you probably talked about before but maybe uh, not pretty in detail is uh, um really look at um what happens when uh, uh the tri suit is wet because we all test our tri suit uh when it's dry <laughs> and i don't know about yeah. you when but when i get out of the water um sometimes with uh, 
it's it's already tough for me to get out of the water, but I, I end up doing so at some point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sooner or later. Or later. Right? And, uh, and when I do, uh, usually you either have a, uh, um, oh, sorry, a swim skin or whatever, uh, a suit on you, yeah, a wetsuit or, or swim skin on you, and you remove it, and it's full of wrinkles. And so many people will just not touch the suit that what you tested to be fast on you. Uh, and you go out and uh, actually you lose uh, two, two centimeters on the, on the quad uh, because it's all pulled, pulled up or, uh, or same on the arms and things like that. Uh, also, maybe look at what's happening. If you have two fast suits on you, uh, look at what's happening when they are wet uh, because so many have kind of uh, depend on the, on the material. Um, many will react um, more like a, kind of a, a soft material and will uh, Will wrinkle everywhere, and it takes forever to for it to dry, and and, and some mm-hmm. will react more like a, a swim skin kind of material, and will stay yep. put a lot more. So you it will just take you know one second on each arm to roll it down, and then it will be tight. Whereas some will uh, will stay with wrinkles as long as they are wet, and it it can be pretty long time until they are dry. I actually in my own races I go through this. Um this curve basically where I start out wet, I dry off and then I get sweaty again. So I end up wet. Yeah. And you will see so many, even professional athletes having uh, so many wrinkles on the arm just because, you know, they have to go fast out of the water and get on the bike and then they have to follow the, the group or be in the front or whatever. And then they will end up riding for hours with wrinkles, um, which is considering the, the amount of time and efforts and money they put into wind tunnel and developing specific clothing and so on. Um, you know, I think that's, the four or five seconds to uh, you know put your everything back in place uh, is worth it, and some materials are probably going to be better at this than others. Um, and which bring, brings me maybe to my last point on this topic is uh, um, my experience with uh, with scalp sleeve. For me, they are very fast. <laughs> honestly, you're not the only one to say this to us. You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah, but I will. Uh, okay, so now you look, you have a look at my uh, my last price pictures i think i sent you one uh, uh, michael and if i if i yep. send you a picture from the run uh, the problem with aero calcium is that they are not very compressive because you want to you don't want the the, the material to be uh, stretched because you will you will lose the aero properties if, if it's too stretched and uh, even when i'm using um, x small calcium and i'm not that small i'm small but not that small um i have to reinstall them properly after the swim and then they may or may not move during the bike run. And I finished my last race with both uh, calf sleeve at my ankles, which look absolutely stupid on pictures. Um, <laughs> and which make me wonder, you know, if I, and I felt like they were never in the right position. I raced a few times with calf sleeves and I, every time I feel they are not in the right position. Um, so if, uh, at least in Europe, if it's a non-wetsuit swimmer, you are not allowed to wear them. And if, yep. if it's a wetsuit swim, um, it takes a bit of time to uh, re- remove, uh, I mean, remake them in a proper aero shape on your on your calf, and then you don't know because they are wet. You will start you will start the bike ride, and and it's not going to be good anymore. So it's it's kind of a even more extreme case, I think. That try them wet, you know. Um, <laughs> that's the same advice I gave for tricep, but uh, even more because uh, a tricep is not going to fall down. Uh, when you ride or run, if it's wet, it's yeah. just going to have wrinkles. But uh, calf sleeves are real pain in the ass because when you are in the aero position, you don't want to try and pull up uh, your calf sleeve while riding. 
So, <laughs> but <laughs> that sounds a recipe for, like a recipe for disaster for sure. But uh, but they are fast. Uh, if you find the right ones, I tried a few, um, and every time I'm getting good uh, results when I uh, testing. So it's it's worth looking at. Um, just make sure they are they stay there when you are out of the water. I mean, try them for sure. Like everything, you should try it before a race. Um, but this one even more, I guess. Yeah, and this goes to show, I mean, something that we've talked about in the, a little bit or we started talking about is that, um, you know, sometimes it makes sense to take a few more seconds in transition to make sure that things are right uh, rather than rushing through it and maybe just adding those these things that we haven't really traditionally thought about, like de-wrinkle your suit and pull up your calf sleeves, make sure that they're they're orientated correctly. Um, and then maybe, like I said, it costs you a few seconds in transition, but especially if you're doing long course, they can save you minutes on the bike. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's worth it for Ironman, uh, Alpha Ironman. I'm yeah. like in between, like I think this weekend, I'm not, I'm not going to use a uh, curb sleeves just because of my experience at my last race. So, um, probably not going to use them, even though, uh, for me, it's 0.005, um, every time, pretty much. Uh, the best I've got was 0.007 improvement with calf sleeve. Uh, but I'm wow. on, on a... The, the low end of the spectrum would be 0 0.005, which is uh, quite a fair uh, improvement. And for, for calf sleeves, that's huge, yeah. yeah. Last comment on this. What's interesting also is that um, for people who want to test themselves, um, sometimes uh, parts on the bikes or small details like that where you put your bottle uh, if you don't do anything crazy like to run bottle yeah. on the frame. Um, but many times you will um, get into the marginal gains in the kind of the tolerance of error of the measurements, I think. Yes. Whereas uh, with uh, skin suits, um, it's usually if between a good one, an average one, and a bad one, uh, you are not in the margin on, uh, of error. It's very easy to confirm day in, day out. Whereas some smaller details, you test one day and you test the next day, and you, the difference is so small that you will get opposite results. Right. Uh, but definite, definitely not for a tri-suit. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. So yeah, go in there and, you know, as, uh, as Kirk told us last week or two weeks ago, depending on when this releases, um, test, 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 try different things and test. And I'm sure you'll agree with that philosophy, Pierre. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, um, there's a really neat, uh, aero bar that, uh, the look has, uh, that, um, Pierre sent me some info on and it was, it was on my radar. Cause when it first was released, I, I had a, a look at the review and a look at it and there's some things I really like about it. But um, tell us why um, why folks should be maybe looking at your bar. Yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, so first, uh, we, we, we are talking about uh, big changes like uh, tri-suits uh, and actually position when we talk about aerobar. And, um, and this is a very interesting topic because we are not talking marginal gains. Um, we are already talking big possible gains. Every time you... You move the rider, uh, as we say, usually the, the bike is 20% of the drag and the rider is about 80%. So um, looking at uh, uh, suits and positioning is very the big, uh, uh, where the biggest difference can be, differences can be made. Um, so yeah, we developed um, the Iargo um, extensions as part of our aerobar system. Um, actually, first for the uh, French Federation uh, on the track. Uh, this was the, the start of the project was uh, because we had our, our 796 uh, TT bike, which has an integrated uh, cockpit um, with more standard extensions um, and cups, uh, quite adjustable, but more standard stuff. Um, and then at the same time, back uh, after the Rio Olympics, we are also, of course, looking at the trend for 
uh, customized um, extensions, which were not so well regulated at some point. It, it got more and more regulated by the UCI uh, over the last um, few years in between the Olympics. Uh, but at the time, we were like, okay, we are not going to uh, have a uh, customized uh, extension production line in look. Uh, that's not the goal. We are not going to mold people forearm and things like that and and make them extensions so uh, but at the same time we are interested in the uh, in the technology of uh, covering i mean giving uh, as much support as possible to the rider um, which means you remove uh, the more comfortable you can get in the front the easier it will get to uh, to uh, tuck your head and be comfortable and you know drive your bike with uh, with the elbow and the forearm more than with the end so you remove pressure from your hand which save in time save some energy and things like that so the more comfortable you get in the front uh, the better for sure uh, so we wanted to offer all this support we are, we wanted to offer the aerodynamics of an integrated solution which means for that you need to um, remove uh, as much as possible the uh, the open areas in between, open areas in between the uh, the forearm uh, um, and the, the extensions, uh, which usually sits below your pads. So, uh, but you will only see con- uh, you will only see contact um, between uh, you, the rider, and the aerobar on the standard setup uh, at your elbow or forearm, depends on how you position your uh, your body on the. Uh, on the on the elbow pads uh, and the ends, so the end of the extensions. But everything is between is, uh, is usually a, a room for the hair to uh, to pass by. Um, and if you start increasing the the angle uh, to 15, 20 degrees, and it means um, there is more frontal area for sure. That's a good but, point. But usually, what you gain, um, a side note, what you gain in uh, in frontal area, uh, you remove by because uh, adding some. Uh, uh, some angle will help you tuck your head and removing um, uh, surface area from your head is, is much more important than whatever you do with your with your forearm, I guess, most of the yeah. time. And that's what we see 99% of the time. Anyway, the goal was to uh, get the rider in a comfortable co- position with aerodynamics uh, in mind. And at the same time, you know, can we be, instead of being custom, fully adjustable? Hmm. Um, and that's what Ergo is actually, it's uh, the most um, aerodynamics adjustable ergonomic set of extension. So let's talk about the adjustment, the ways that it adjusts. So I'm, again, uh, f- folks, if you're if you want context for this conversation, again, uh, pop onto the lo- the look website and take a look at this uh, at this bar. It is kind of unique looking, um, and uh, you know uh, you can follow along with what Pierre is explaining if you want to if you're curious. Yeah, so if you look at the different adjustments, um, so you have the uh, reach. Uh, okay, let's start things first. The best thing to do is actually kind of mold the extensions um, to your uh, forearms and ends. Not that you are going to mold it literally, yep. but what I mean is the best thing you can do is like install whatever uh, in whichever way uh, you want uh, on the bike, no spacer, whatever, and just... Um, Put your elbow and your hands when you want to to have them, mm-hmm. uh, because after you adjust that, uh, it's it's not something you have to touch anymore. Mm. I don't know if you see what I mean. I then do. you can yeah. adjust. Then you can adjust the angle. It's really the shape from your elbow to your hand. Find what works for you mm-hmm. and do that first. Mm-hmm. But after after you do that, then you have um, fifty four millimeter of reach adjustment, and that's uh, not with uh, with holes. It's 
completely uh, increment, uh, I mean, sliding adjustment. So you can uh, do uh, from the center position, you can do minus one, minus two, whatever you want. So that okay? is that, is that, is that, are you talking about reach um, to the elbow or reach the hand? When you're talking about reach that, okay. to the actually you are moving both this is what is great this is why i say you know first um you adjust your the the distance and the the position you run from the elbow to your um to your end got it okay and this is kind of a it's like molding your extensions to your to your hand um, you what I mean. you. okay this is a little bit of okay. a different way than we would do bike fit in the past but that makes sense because yeah okay okay no go ahead i'm with you and then and then what is excellent is that when you move uh the reach uh back of backward or forward mm -hmm. uh, you are actually moving the complete assembly got it that's so, so cool. this this is great because i've been using um i use uh, even now i still use uh, other bars just for uh, testing and different bikes and things like that but many times you will want to okay i want to move everything 20 millimeter forward so you will first move your yeah. elbow cup <laughs> yeah you will you will first move your elbow cup one set of all yeah. you want to gain your 20 millimeter yeah and then you will you will slide your extensions 20 millimeter sure you see, uh, you see what i mean i do and in this case after your your extensions are more kind of uh, literally molded to your arms you are moving everything together so when you move rich you are just pushing everything forward cool. with this with the same two balls the same two balls that adjust rich um it's like a seat post with two balls you also adjust the tilt from zero to 20 degree so when you are going to retighten uh after you you do the reach um of your of your cup uh, of your complete extension when you're going to retighten if you if you tighten more the the bolt in the back you are actually increasing the tilt you know like a seat post you know what i mean mm -hmm. the two bolts yeah yeah and you can you can pitch it yeah yeah and if you, you push uh, one if up you and tighten, pull one down and then that's how it uh, uh, exactly yeah so you can adjust from zero to 20 degree so that's for the, the reach and the tilt adjustment are both on the same two bolts hmm. okay cool um then you have stack. Stack is um, probably the longest adjustment uh, on this bar. Uh, we don't have a monopost. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say that's kind of the the advantage of the the more, the more like what. Um, well, we've talked a little bit about them, like what. Um, uh, oh man, the tri rig, tri rig's new Alpha One bar, or or the Cervelo bar, or even like the the specialized. Bar. Yeah, the, the Cervelo has another issue is that you save time with the monopost, but it changes reach when you move the post up. So, uh, you know, it's is it kind not, of, uh, isn't it perfectly, isn't it perfectly in line with XY? Isn't it perfectly vertical? No, it's, no? Uh, it's pa parallel to the head tube angle. Oh, um, okay. Yes. So sense. it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's fast, not, but it's, you still it's have... coupled. It's not, it's not fully decoupled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, actually, if you look at the, at the geometry section of the Cervelo website, you will see for each, um, you will see the, the rectangle showing you the stack and reach possible uh, -huh. uh they are not actually rectangles they have a they are um, a trapez trapezoid okay trapezoid okay yeah trapezoid yeah sorry yeah um whereas the tri-rig is uh, is moving up straight uh, unless you have a very weird at tube angle because yes. it's based on a 72.5 or 73 at tube angle or something like that right but anyway it's it's moving straight so anyway for us it's um for sure it's the longest uh part everything else is very fast uh moving the the cup up uh takes four bolts and changing the stack height uh, you can go from zero to 55 millimeters so it's a 55 millimeter stack adjustment and then in, in terms of um uh cup to cup dimension so the width mm -hmm. um you actually have 12 position you have um 12. so you can pretty much have uh, el elbow touching 
uh, elbow touching is good for uh, for Chichi. Yeah. Uh, you will see many uh, like in the UK, most many positions now are pretty much elbow touching and pretty high stack. That's kind of a current trend for Chichi. Yep. Um, and for triathlon, uh, usually we will look at the um, on the right side, the right column of the document I sent you, which is um, the um, uh, the parts going on the outside. Because you need this position to have room for a bottle in between your arms. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, you, you definitely, you definitely gonna want that. Yeah, the, the first position in which um, you can uh, actually uh, use the, the bottle is uh, the narrowest position of the parts put in the external side. So to sum up, sorry, because that's a long, uh, long story, but uh, it's adjust um, the extensions and cups to match you, the position you want to your arms. Then you adjust the reach. You have uh, 54 millimeter uh, reach adjustment possibilities, um, all sliding. So there is no increment of 20 millimeter, 54 millimeter of reach adjustment. Then you have at the, uh, with the same bolts, zero to 20 degree um, tilt angle. Then you have 12 positions for the, for the width, for the uh, width distance in between the cups. And then you have from zero to 55 millimeter uh, stack adjustment with five millimeter increments. The last one is that you can also tilt in the extensions or tilt out the extension. So you can have them very straight yep. or, or kind of tilting in so that your end, your ends uh, touch each other. Yeah. Which is, which is, I find in my, like my life as a fitter, I found that very useful for people who, um, who are broad shouldered, uh, or like big chested and who, who need a really wide stance. Um, to make them a little bit more comfortable sometimes or even a little bit more aerodynamic. I found um, having that uh, internal lo- rotation, um, you know, where, where the hands are narrower than the elbows was really helpful. So it's really nice that they can do that because a, a lot of the other bars can't anymore or not well. And the, the one uh, last thing I didn't mention, which is also pretty cool, is that uh, actually the, um, the small piece of extension that's uh, in your hand yep. uh, is, actu- is actually a separate piece. Um, with a I adjustment think this is the coolest part of the bar the or one of the coolest parts of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you want something like kind of, um, I wouldn't recommend it uh, because you won't really want to, to have the extensions following your forearm. But um, if you are, for example, um, inside, you have to stay inside the UCI rule, yep. but you want something that's a bit more like ski bend uh, kind of, uh, uh, of extension, uh, you can stop at 15 degree. Uh, in angle because for the for the cups because that's the limit that uh, UCI will allow, mm-hmm. but you can get up more uh, by having the, the the tip of the extension more vertical. Yes. So that's the second angle actually you can adjust. Uh, but what I would recommend for a triathlete wanted to have uh, higher end position is uh, uh, using like sev- like from fifteen to twenty degree. Mm-hmm. But try to have the tip of the extension more in line with in line with your arm. Uh, because this way you are not going to create a gap um, in between yeah, your okay. uh, your forearm and uh, for the air to pass. You know your everything. You, your full arm and end will be covered uh, as much as possible by the extension, which is better for aerodynamic. Love it. So actually, doing what I said about having the uh, the tip of the extension more vertical, more upward uh, relative to the to the angle of the wall extension is more like kind of a UCI. Uh, constraint. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that if you're allowed to tilt the the whole assembly up 20 degrees. Let's say. Yeah, for me, I'm definitely. Uh, if you ask me, uh, over the years, I started at maybe 10 degrees, and now I'm fully riding at uh, uh, 20 degrees. And uh, only, um, uh, I mean, um, 
the line uh, the line of my chip extension is not exactly the same line uh, as my extension it's more for end comfort so it's uh, just slightly higher so if my extensions are 20 degree um, the tip of my extensions are about 30 to 35 but definitely not uh, definitely not you know like 90 degrees or things that, things like that Oh, this is a very cool product. Yeah, um, definitely something worth checking out for folks who are who are looking for that, you know, that hand comfort and aero advantage all in all in one package. Um, great, yeah. Pierre. Thank you. This was uh, a really a really interesting conversation, and uh, and finally, uh, a, you know, a good opportunity to finally catch up. Well, sort of in person, at least at least live and not over email uh, on on tape. Yeah, and thanks thanks so much for uh, for having me. Um, I'm really honored to be to be able to share uh, a little bit. I don't consider myself as an, uh, an expert as other uh, guests that you have, but uh, um, I'm really happy. But you've been in the, <laughs> you've been in a, you know, in the industry for a long time and you've, you're working with a company that's known for its, you know, for its focus on this kind of stuff. So I think, uh, you know, I, I would, I would classify you. I would put you in that bucket. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, folks, as always, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you enjoy the show, do, um, do rate, review us, tell your friends, subscribe to the show. Uh, and if you really like it, consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at uh, patreon.com slash endurance innovation. Thanks again. Thank you. And let's talk aero, aero testing next time a bit more. <laughs> For sure.